The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Through 29, and uh, the message uh, title, A Life That Is Worth It. A Life That Is Worth It. So let's read um, these verses uh, if you want to follow along as I read. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. All right, this is a, a great passage, and uh, Paul has really shifted here from talking about his thanksgiving for the Colossians and for their faith and their love for the saints and his, his prayer for them. And now, before he really dives into the main uh, reason he's going to write the letter, he gives a, a brief reflection on his own life and his own ministry and his own purpose and heart. And um, it's helpful to know that when Paul's, Paul wrote this letter from prison, probably in Rome, a little debate about where, but he was in prison when he wrote this. So, uh, so when he begins with this, this phrase, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Now, these are not just empty words. It's not just nice things that, like he thought, well, you know, these people will feel sorry for me. He's really uh, been through difficult things. And in, at this moment, as he writes the letter, he's in prison suffering, right? But he doesn't say, I want you to feel sorry for me and my suffering, right? He doesn't say, you know, woe is me because I'm suffering so much. Uh, No, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings. Now, what in the world is wrong with this guy, right? What is is with Paul that he can say, I I am rejoicing, I am happy, I am thrilled that I am suffering. Uh, Some people think, well, Paul was just some kind of masochist. He just was like, addicted to suffering. He just liked uh, to make things hard on himself. But that's not really true. Right? He, uh, he, he is suffering. And he's excited about it. Right? Now, if we're honest, most of us uh, would admit that we don't really like suffering. I would not say that I just get excited with the opportunity of knowing, hey, if I do this, my life's going to get really hard and I'm going to suffer. Yay! Right? That's not my nature. I don't know if it's your nature. For most of us, it's not, especially uh, in, in living in the modern world, right? Well, one of the advantages of living in the modern world is that to a large extent, we've eliminated a lot of suffering from life. Life, uh, life has gotten incredibly easy, and a lot of the hardships that were just part of normal life in uh, past years are, are, are gone, right? 
Uh, none of us walked 10 miles to church this morning. We got in our nice, comfy, air-conditioned cars, and we drove along, right? The, the most thing we had to exert is pushing that gas pedal down, you know. Whew, it was exhausting, right? Um, no, life has gotten pretty easy for us. Uh, we didn't go out this morning and go out in the forest and shoot something and bring it home and skin it and gut it and skin it and cook it and bake it and go out and grind the flour, you know, all that just to get breakfast, right? No, we just zap something in the microwave, right? That's the world we live in where comfort and ease has become really the standard and norm, right? And so, uh, granted, most of us don't really arrange our lives in a way that moves towards suffering, but in the other direction, right? It's just, just kind of how we're trained and taught that the goal of life is to avoid suffering, right? And, and somehow if you're running into suffering, there's something wrong. In fact, that's kind of at the heart of, of, uh, of a lot of religions. Buddhism, for one, would say if you're suffering, you've done something wrong, right? There's, you made wrong choices. You've, you've gone the wrong direction, right? And the goal would be to avoid suffering. So... Um, so, so how can Paul rejoice in suffering? Well, while it's true that uh, mo- most of us avoid suffering most of the time, if we really think about it, and if we're really honest, uh, the truth is that uh, almost all of us would suffer, some at least, if it was for the right thing, right? Uh, why, why we just don't want to suffer randomly and without purpose. Um, there are things that we would sacrifice for. Uh, I'm amazed at the extent of suffering and self-inflicted agony some people put themselves through in a diet. Right? right? They're going to not eat sugar. Like, can you believe that? Like, like why would you do that? Right? And and are they are they cut out whole groups of food? Right? Are they go on a liquid diet and don't eat any kind of food? Right? I mean, people go to they sacrifice. There's actually a lot of self-inflicted suffering. But it's for a good cause. It's so that they can lose weight or get healthier, right? Uh, uh, you see athletes making incredible sacrifices and inflicting on themselves an, an, an amazing amount of suffering, right, so that they can win. I remember back in the days when I was all gung-ho about running marathons, and I just look back and I just think, you know, I just, I, I tormented myself, right, to reach that goal, right? So it's not that we don't... Uh, we, we, It's not really that we are completely averse to suffering. Uh, The issue is, uh, is is our suffering worth it, right? Are we we suffering for something that we feel is worth it because in the end um, there will be some prize or reward or benefit, right, that makes it worth it? Um, so, uh, so, So Paul, he says, I rejoice in suffering. And, and the reason he's rejoicing is not because he's just a glutton for punishment, because he's a masochist, because he likes, you know, pain, but because he recognizes that his suffering is for a cause that is worth it. Right? He is suffering for something that is worth it, and he's rejoicing, not just because it's suffering, but because the suffering is worth something. Like the benefit and end of it will be worth it. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said this, If you have not discovered something you are willing to die for, then you are not fit to live. Pretty harsh words, right? Um, But but there's some truth in what he says, right? He says, if you have not discovered something you are willing to die for, then then what are you living for? 
Right? What are you really living for? And, and I would say that um, Paul puts before us an amazing example of a life that's worth living. A life that's worth living. And I would say that uh, the only life that's worth living is a life where you're living for something so big, so meaningful, so important, so insignificant, that it is worth sacrificing anything and everything to get that. Right? That is a life worth living for. And if we live a life uh, to avoid suffering, if we live a life on things that are not worth sacrificing for, then I would say that really your life is not worth living. Right? You're not spending your life and investing in your life in something that's really worth it. Right? And that's what I think Paul is saying here. So, so what is it that Paul was living for that was so grand, so extraordinary, so significant, and so meaningful that, that he would go to prison. In fact, he would go to death. He would sacrifice and suffer uh, the most extreme things because it was so worth it. Well, that's what he talks about in this passage. So let's see if we can learn from Paul what made his life worth it. And maybe we can kind of compare and, and evaluate our life against that standard that he puts out. And, and so I'm just going to go through six things. I think I've got six things. Uh, we rejoice in suffering when we have, first of all, the right focus, right? The right focus. Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Right? One of the problems with a lot of our suffering is our suffering is very self-centered. Right? We suffer mostly because of things that we want to benefit ourselves. And some of those things aren't bad, right? Like a diet, health, uh, sacrificing for the sake of your health or for financial gain, uh, to be more secure in the future. Those are not bad things, right? Uh, but most of those things are very self-focused, self-centered, right? And the, the sad reality is you by yourself are probably not a big enough cause to be worth it, right? Uh, not that you're not important, right? But, but the reality is that if I'm, my only sacrifice is for me, the end goal is that I will, well, that I'll be more comfortable, right? That my life would be easier, like, if I'm the goal and focus of my suffering, I'm only going to suffer so far, right? Because the goal is to protect my life and to uh, make myself more comfortable. Uh, so I'm not going to suffer past the point where I'm going against that goal, right? Uh, so uh, uh, we, we, we will sacrifice for small causes in, in pursuit of selfish interests. Uh, but Paul's talking about something better. He says, I am suffering... For your sake. I rejoice because of my suffering for others. And this sounds crazy, and, and the world really can't fathom this, but the truth is, um, there is a cause to rejoice when we suffer for something outside of us, right? When we suffer for others. And Paul suffered a lot. He went to prison, he got beat up, he was being mocked and ridiculed. Uh, uh, he, he suffered a great personal sacrifice. And he said it was worth it because he was doing it for others and not just for himself, right? Um, th there is a happiness that comes when we give ourselves to others, uh, contrary as it may sound. John, Jesus put it this way. He said, greater love has no man that he lays down his life for his friends, right? And then later, uh, the writer in Hebrews said, could say that Jesus... Uh, with the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, right? It was a joy for Jesus to lay down his life and sacrifice for us. 
And the same is true for us, right? The more uh, we help, uh, the greater the joy we have in it. In fact, he goes on further. He says in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am willing to fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. We'll come back to that. Uh, for the sake of his body, that is the church. Right? Uh, so this is a case where the more the merrier. <laughs> like Paul's not just suffering for the sake of one person, but he's actually suffering for the sake of Christ's body, the church. Now, Paul uh, had a unique calling as the apostle to the Gentiles. And probably none of us can uh, say that we're suffering for the sake of the whole body of Christ. Right? Uh, Paul was probably unique in that as the one who wrote much of the New Testament and who really set uh, the foundation upon which the, the church was, was built, of course, on Christ, but uh, through his ministry. Um, uh, but what a joy it was for him, right, to know that he was investing his life in the building up of the body of Christ. He said, I can gladly rejoice in that. Because the focus is not about me, and not even about just one person, but it's about uh, the, the church, the body of Christ being built up. Right? Uh, it was worth it uh, because he was doing it in love and concern for, for others. Right? Uh, and, and he does say, coming back to that phrase, filling up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. Uh, uh, this is we could spend the whole rest of the sermon talking about this. I don't want to get too bogged down on it. It's, a, it's highly debated. There's lots of theories, most of which are really bad. Uh, but what did Paul mean that he rejoiced and that he was uh, filling up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body? Well, we know for sure, just a short, simple answer, we know for sure that Paul is not saying that somehow his suffering added to the redemptive value or the atoning work of Jesus, right? Um, and in, in church history, that some, some branches of the church got this very wrong, and they had the idea that the blood of the martyrs actually added to the blood of Jesus in paying for sin, right? Well, that's, that would be heresy at the, at the most serious level, right? And so Paul, because it would contradict what he taught throughout all of his letters, all of his writings. He's not saying that. Right? He's not saying that somehow my suffering is adding to the sin-forgiving power of what Jesus did on the cross. Uh, just to be clear, Jesus' death is sufficient for salvation, for forgiveness of sins, for atoning and making us right with God. His, sufficient is, his sacrifice is sufficient. It is enough. And there's absolutely nothing we can add to it through our suffering, through our prayers, through, our, through anything. Right? Christ's death is sufficient. It is enough. Right? So then what was lacking in, in, in Jesus' sufferings? Well, first of all, it's important to note that uh, Jesus did suffer. Right? And his mission, his ministry, his, his death for us, the salvation that he purchased, was purchased through suffering, uh, through great suffering, as he went to the cross and died there a, a very agonizing death. Uh, um, but here's what happened Jesus came to earth he lived a life which was in itself suffering uh, after he'd been in heaven he sacrificed a lot to come to earth and live as, as, a, as a person uh, he went to the cross and suffered uh, terrible things on the cross and not just physically but he suffered rejection and shame and humiliation uh, the full effects of sin he died he was buried he rose again and when he rose again, what happened? 
uh, he, he left, right? He, he ascended to the heavens where he sits now seated at the right hand of, of the Father. Now, if the story had ended there and Jesus said, well, I died for you all and, you know, good luck, but nobody came along to proclaim the message, well, there would have been a lack, right? It would not have gone forward. There would be no church, right? So essentially what's lacking in Christ's sufferings is that after he died and rose again and ascended to heaven, his suffering was ended, right? But, but the message had to be proclaimed, right? In order for it to become effective, somebody had to speak it and take it to the world. Uh, and, and that task, as we will see in a moment, involves suffering. And so Paul is fulfilling what's lacking in Christ's uh, afflictions because he took the baton, as it were, and took it to the next step of proclaiming what Jesus had done. Right? Uh, so, so that's likewise what we do. Um, so his suffering was a result of proclaiming that message, as we will see. So therefore, next point, uh, we, we, uh, we can rejoice in suffering when it's for the right mission. Right? For the right mission. Suffering is worth it when we are on a mission that comes from God that is big enough and important enough that it's worth it. And, and Paul could rejoice in his sufferings because that's exactly what kind of mission he was on. Right? And he, says, he says it this way. He says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body that is the church, of which I became a minister or a servant according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. To make the word of God fully known. And he explains a little bit further. He says, this is the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Paul says, look, I became a servant. Uh, he's, not, he's an apostle, right? but he's not boasting about how high and great and important he is. He says, no, I, I ultimately was a servant called to a stewardship. And the word stewardship here has the idea of somebody in, in that time who was appointed as kind of a manager of a house, like the household affairs, kind of the butler, I guess you could say. Just a slave or a servant who was appointed to manage uh, the household of a wealthy person or maybe a king, right? And he said, look, I've been appointed, I've been called and appointed and given a, a servant's job uh, as, uh, as a steward of this work that God has, right? Uh, and it was a call that came and a work that came, a, a, an assignment that was given to him by God himself, right? Uh, it was a mission that God had called him to. But what exactly was the mission? It was that I became a minister according to the stewardship that was given to me for you. And what is the mission? To make the word of God fully known. That's his mission. Uh, and the, the, the phrase here, word of God, you know, we, we use the word of God to speak of the Bible as a whole. Uh, and that's true. But Paul's using it here uh, to, to express specifically the word of God as it relates to the gospel. And oftentimes Paul uses the, the phrase word of God as a, as a synonym or a substitute for the idea of the gospel. It is, it is the grand message of scripture that focuses and finds its climax in the work of Christ that he alone is our salvation. Right? Uh, and he says his, his calling, his mission, is to make this word fully known, fully known, completely known to those to whom he was sent. Uh, specifically, 
the Gentiles. And he describes this as a mystery, right? This mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Uh, what is a mystery? Uh, well, that's a mystery, right? <laughs> a mystery is something you don't know, something you don't know an, an answer to. Uh, in, in Old Testament and in Bible thinking, a mystery is something related to God's purpose, which can only be imparted by divine revelation. Right? Something God is doing, some activity or action of God, but it can only be understood or seen through God's direct revelation. People can't figure it out on their own. So in the New Testament, the mystery refers to a secret once hidden, but which has now been revealed and understood. Uh, it comes from uh, a commentator. I did not make that up. David Garland wrote that, right? Uh, uh, a secret once hidden, but which has now been revealed and understood. So what, what is the secret? What was hidden but is now revealed? Well, in short, it's God's salvation in Christ, uh, but not just that. It's God's salvation in Christ not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles, for all the nations, right? That God, through Christ, would save not only the Jewish people, but it was his purpose and plan to save every tribe and tongue and, and, and nation, right? That the gospel would go out to all the nations and that through Christ all would be united into one body in Christ. So the Jews and the Gentiles would no longer be enemies, but he says in Ephesians that they would be brought into unity in Christ, right? That was a mystery. Now it's hidden, uh, but that hidden means that it was there, they just didn't see it, right? Hidden means it's, it's right there in plain sight, but you can't see it. Uh, maybe you've seen and done puzzles uh, little picture puzzles where you're supposed to find the little objects in the painting, right? And uh, at first, when you don't know where they are, you look and look and look, and, and you struggle to see them, right? And maybe, uh, maybe some of them are so hard, you, you have to get help. You just can't find it. But then, once you do find it, it's like obvious. It's like, how did I miss it before, right? Well, that's, that's really a picture of the Old Testament. The Old Testament absolutely proclaimed Christ, Right? This was not a new invention that wasn't in the Old Testament. Uh, all the pages, in fact, of the Old Testament point to Christ, point to his death on the cross, point to the need for redemption in, in, in the blood of a sacrifice, the lamb. Right? It points to the Messiah who would come as king. Right? It was all through the Old Testament. And not only that, but that Jesus would die, not only for the Jews, but for all people. Right? Uh, but it, it was there but they could not see it, right? Uh, and Paul says he's making this word of God fully known. He's explaining the gospel. And, and just, just to be clear, when Paul says he preaches the gospel, you know that he wasn't preaching Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Right? He wasn't flipping to Matthew and quoting Matthew, right? Because it hadn't been written yet, or at least not published, right? It wasn't in print, right? Who was he quoting, well, Paul quotes Isaiah. He quotes Jeremiah. He quotes David. He quotes Moses, right? He shows them from the Old Testament, and not only Paul, but also Peter and the other apostles, right? They show from the Old Testament what was hidden, what they couldn't see, but was there. The gospel, right? All the word, old and new, points to Jesus. Uh, but it was a mystery that they were unable to see until God revealed it to them, right? 
And, and it's, what's ironic is even Jesus' disciples, right, even when Jesus walked on earth and, and came and lived and died and rose again, even they didn't get it, right? And Jesus says after he appeared to them, he says he opened the scriptures and explained to them from the Old Testament what happened, right? And then they understood, right? Because it was revealed to them. Right? Well, that's the message that Paul is proclaiming, right? And he says, look, I rejoice in my suffering and trials because I have a God-given mission to make the gospel fully known everywhere I go. That is an amazing mission, right? And there's a lot of things you can invest your life in, uh, but there's nothing greater than making the truth of the gospel known around the world. Right? And, and uh, you may say, well, that was great for Paul. He was called to that, but what about me? God's calling you to the same mission. Right? If you are in Christ, you are called to the same mission. Now, you may not have the, the same scope that Paul did. Granted, you know, he, was, he, he, he claims to have proclaimed Christ through the whole Roman Empire. Right? It's not bad. Uh, you may not have that same scope of ministry. But you have the same mission, right? Uh, to go into all the worlds and make disciples of all the nations. That's a calling on every believer, right? And we know it's a great mission because it's a mission that came from God. We didn't invent it. We didn't make it up. Um, and we can rejoice in our suffering when we know we are on a mission that comes from God, right? And, and the truth is that it's a mission that does involve suffering, right? Proclaiming the word does require sacrifice and often suffering. It can meet with rejection and hatred. It can mean we are misunderstood and maybe laughed at and being persecuted and mistreated. Uh, it means oftentimes living up a life of comfort and luxury and ease to go to hard places and to make sacrifices, right? Uh, to learn to speak a different language and to learn to adapt yourself to a different place and a different culture. Uh, oftentimes to live far from family and friends. Uh, oftentimes without the comforts uh, that, that we want, right? Um, now, you may not be in prison like Paul was, but uh, it's not easy, right? It's not easy. Uh, but we can rejoice in this calling because it's from God to proclaim the greatest message in the world, in history. Thirdly, uh, we can uh, rejoice in our suffering when we have the right cause. Right? So the question is, what is the outcome? Uh, what is the point of this message? What, what is Paul hoping that proclaiming this message would accomplish? Uh, well, he says simply this. He says uh, uh, this, this message, this mystery uh, to the saints... Uh, verse 27, to them God chose, that is to the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, what is the cause? What was the purpose and goal of all this? Well, Paul says that the reason he was out proclaiming this message, the word of the gospel, this mystery, was simply so that um, to make known among the Gentiles the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. And the, the church at Colossians was a, was a Gentile church. 
Right? So when he says Christ in you, he means Christ in you Gentiles. Right? That you have now the hope of glory of, of Christ abiding in you. That was his goal. Right? That was the, the cause, the hope that he had. And it really is a picture of, um, of Israel. Right? Even though these were Gentile people, it was a picture of Christ in you. I was looking back to the Old Testament when God himself came and he lived in the midst of Israel. And it first happened when they set up the tabernacle. Remember the tent that they made at Mount Sinai? And they, Moses built this tent. And uh, when it was all done, they offered these sacrifices. And the glory of God fell down and came and filled the temple. So much so that nobody could even enter the temple. And the very glory of God was dwelling in the midst of them. And so everywhere they went, they'd pack up that tent and the glory of God would go with them. God in their midst. And he says that's the, that is the hope of glory. That was the glory of Israel, that they were a people in whom God's very presence was resident and went with them everywhere they were. And he says now that hope of glory is available to you Gentiles because through the preaching of the word, there is the hope of Christ in you. When you come to faith in Christ, it's not just that he takes away our sins. It's not just that he removes our guilt. It's not just that he restores a broken relationship with God. He does all those things. But scripture makes it clear that God himself actually takes up residence and lives within us. Uh, This church is not a temple. Together, though, as the people of the body of Christ, we are the temple of God. Not this building, but the people. And not only that, but Scripture says that you and I individually, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Christ is in you through His Spirit. Amazing truth, amazing reality. And that is our glory, that we live a life uh, where Christ is in our midst and with us continually, everywhere we go. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That That is the hope... Uh, why we preach this message, why we proclaim Christ and the gospel. Um, is it worth it? Right? Is it worth it? Uh, I wish I could tell all the stories of people I've seen come to Christ. And I know that you could tell stories of people who you have seen come to Christ. Um, is it worth it for you that you came to Christ? <laughs> Was it worth it that somebody shared the gospel with you? And that message came, and, it, and Christ is in you. Is it worth it? It is worth it, right? And, and we rejoice in any suffering it takes when we see people uh, who, who come to know Christ and, and Jesus is in them, right? It is worth it. It is worth it. All the suffering in the world is worth that uh, truth in people's lives. Uh, fourthly, uh, we can rejoice in suffering when we have the right plan. Uh, Paul didn't make up his own strategy, right? He had the mission was from God, the message he proclaimed was from God, the results were ultimately from God, uh, and and so was the plan, right? God had a, a way to do it, and so he he talks about that, right? Uh, suffering is worth it when we have the right plan, and the right plan is one that works. Right? Now, there's nothing worse than having a bad plan. Right? 
There's nothing worse than suffering because we were, we just had a bad plan, right? If you're watching the news, if you watch financial news, but this last, this last week, uh, one of the crypto companies just tanked, F- FTX, right? Uh, lost, I don't know how many hundreds of billions of uh, net worth in, in days, right? And, and um, in the end, it, it turns out that it was just a bad plan, right? And, um, and everybody's trying to get away from this company, right? And, of course, people have lost a lot of money, right? Um, we don't want to sacrifice time and energy on a bad plan. But when it's a God-given plan, we can be confident that it's a, it's a, a plan that's going to work. And what, what is God's plan? Well, it's very simple. Very simple. Verse 28, Paul says, Him we proclaim. Right? This is the plan. Preach Jesus. Right? That's it. Proclaim Christ. That is the plan. Right? Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Right? Warning everyone and teaching with all wisdom. Incredibly simple. Preach the gospel. Preach Christ. Uh, preaching Christ means, first of all, preaching the person of Christ, who he is. And we talked about this last couple of weeks. Right? Who he is. Son of God. Son of man. Incarnate uh, God. Come to earth. Uh, proclaim the work of Christ, what he's done on the cross to redeem and save us. Right? It's just that simple. Him we proclaim, teaching and admonishing everyone. Uh, and the idea of admonishing here is to warn people of what goes wrong if we're on the wrong path. Right? Correcting people, changing people's bad thinking to right thinking about Christ. Uh, teaching them means to show who Jesus is in its fullness, to teach the depths and riches of Jesus. Right? That is the strategy. Uh, the world has all kinds of books and ideas and plans. Uh, Paul says, look, the, the mission is simple. The plan is simple. You just preach Christ. Right? You just preach Christ. Uh, what's so sad, though, is I have been, I have been in churches and I have heard sermons and I have read books by Christian leaders and Christian teachers and Christian pastors who do not preach Christ. Right? They preach modern psychology. They preach business techniques. Uh, they, re- they, they, they teach human wisdom. They do not teach Christ. Right? Please. Right? This is the mission. Proclaim Christ. Uh, last year, I got to teach a preaching class, and uh, part of this class, I, I challenged the students preach Christ every time from every passage of Scripture. And uh, these were, you know, Bible college students, seminary students, whatever, uh, Christians. Uh, 99% of them said, "What? Preach Christ all the time? Well, how do you do that?" Right? It's like, oh my gosh, the work we have cut out for us, right? Yes, preach Christ all the time. Learn how to preach Christ from the Old Testament. Right? Paul says that's the mystery. It's hidden. It's there. Preach Christ all the time. Thankfully, by the end of the class, I think I had most of them convinced. I prayed. Right? Preach Christ. Preach Christ. Teach Christ. Right? Can you teach the Bible and not teach Christ? Yes, unfortunately. And when you do so, you teach either legalism or you teach this crazy idea that God is just love and it doesn't matter. Only when it's rooted in the gospel can you really teach Scripture in the fullness of what it means. Right? Preach Christ. Um, 
Um, so that's the, that's the strategy, right? Uh, and and and, and why, do, why do we only preach Christ? Doesn't that just get boring? I also remember teaching a group of tribal pastors, same thing. I said, preach Christ, preach the gospel, do, do not stop preaching the gospel. And, and their answer was, well, we, we know the gospel. We need to move on, right? We know this, right? It's like, ah, no. Why? Okay, so that's a good question. Why? Why do we have to keep preaching the gospel? We know this, right? We know it. Why do we have to keep preaching? Why, why is that the only message? Right? It's not that it's the only message as we teach Christ. There's a lot to it. But why does Christ have to be at the center? Well, for the next reason. Uh, because that uh, is the purpose, right? If we are going to be successful, I mean, if we're going to rejoice in suffering, we need to have the right purpose. We need to have the right goal in mind. What is it we're ultimately trying to see happen, happen in people's lives by preaching Christ? Um, uh, we need to know the goal. And he says the goal is simply this, verse 28b, uh, we, we preach him, we proclaim him, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Right? Paul says, look, this is the path to maturity. Right? The way that you will be fully who you're supposed to be in Christ is when you really understand the depths and riches of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the only truth and the only message that is actually life-changing. What you need is not more understanding or more wisdom or more knowledge. What you need is a different life. (laughs) Right? Sorry. What I need is a different life. What I need is to change. Like to mature, he says, grow into maturity. What is maturity? Well, the word can actually mean perfect. right? Not in the sense of being without sin. But the idea of perfect is the idea of being everything that God intended you to be. Having a life that's in every way fully the life that God called you to, both in character as well as in fulfilling its mission and purpose, what God designed you for, right? Um, a, a perfect light bulb is a, is, a, is a light bulb that puts off light, right? <laughs> um, a light bulb that doesn't put off light is, is lacking something, right? It's either broken or defective, right? Uh, a life that is mature is a life that shines with the light of Christ because that's what we were made to do. We are like a light bulb that shines the light and truth and message of Christ. We are to be conformed to his likeness and image so people see Christ in us. Those are all marks of maturity. Okay? Uh, before Christ and without Christ, we are none of those things. And so we need our life to be changed and transformed to be like Jesus. And the simple truth is, and we don't have time to go into all the reasons why this morning. But the only thing that is life-transforming is the power of the cross. Right? It is the power of the cross and the work of Christ that both takes away our sin, but gives us power to conquer sin's influence and control over our life. Right? It is in the gospel and in Christ alone that we will be changed and transformed. Um, uh, and so Paul says, uh, in the next verse, he says, To this end I toil and I struggle with all his energy that powerfully works within me. He says, my, my heart, my passion, my mission is that someday I will be able to present you perfect. Right Now, who's he presenting these to? Well, he's p- 
picturing here himself standing before God one day. And he says, as the fruit of my life, I want to stand before God and I want to present to God a gift or to bring to him uh, these people whose lives have been so transformed that they are, and so different that they are mature in Christ. They are Christ-like. He says, my life will not be successful. I will not be content that my life bore what was worth it unless I can do this. And notice what he says. He does not say, I, I hope to present before God a lot of converts. That's not it. Right? That was not it. If Paul had said, look, look at all the people I've led to Christ who got saved. That was not enough for him. Right? That was not worth it. Uh, he says, my goal is not just that they would come to be saved, but that they would become mature in Christ. Right? That's why I labor and toil and struggle. And the truth is, it is a struggle. Right? Uh, it is a labor. It is a toiling uh, to teach and preach and walk with people uh, because it's you know, one step forward and three steps back oftentimes. Right? It's hard. Right? Uh, but he says, that's my goal. That's that's uh, uh, that's the purpose for why for, 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 for why I do this, right? That I would be able to bring before God a gift of people whose lives are changed, and and there there is something to rejoice in suffering when that is true, right? I don't know uh, how it doesn't matter how hard your life is now. Uh, probably none of us will suffer like Paul did, hopefully. Uh, but I'm telling you, it will be worth it. Uh, on that day when you stand before God and you can bring before Him lives whom you have touched. Again, not not by your own doing. It says, we'll see, it's by the power of God at work within us. It's God using us. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible privilege, right, to be His His servants in this way. But just imagine what it's going to be when you stand before the Father and there are lives who are mature in Christ because of the sacrifices and effort and toil and struggle of your life. It will be worth it. right? It will be worth it. Uh, the other side is to be a person who comes before God saved, standing before Him, and who has nothing to show. right? Who, who, who have made no impact in the lives of others. Who can bring no gift before God. right? Uh, I really believe this is really what, what's pictured with our rewards and our, our crowns, right? Uh, it's not physical golden crowns. It's lives that have been changed as a result of our, uh, our involvement in their life, right? And of course, it's not by our own power. He says, I do this with God's energy that works powerfully within me, right? It's God who accomplishes this through his work and his power in us, right? Um, there's a lot of reasons for suffering and, and this is only one of them there's, there's other reasons for suffering and, and that's a different sermon right? but um, uh, you know, is your life worth it? that's the real question you know, Paul said my life is totally worth it and I have no regrets even, even all the hardship and the suffering even though I'm sitting here in prison my life is worth it because I have invested it in things that matter for eternity Right? Uh, what are you? What are you living for? Right? right now, what? It, what is it that you're pouring your life into? What do you toil and struggle and labor for? Are you investing in your life in things that really are worth it? 
right? That really will matter for all eternity. I hope so, right? I hope so. Uh, and I hope, if that's if true, I know you will be able to rejoice in suffering, right? Because you will know, hey, I am, I am doing this for something that is so worth it. It would be worth dying for this because it's so worth it. Right? And, and, and that is the life God calls us to. Right? I, I just feel sad for people in the world who don't get to suffer like we do. Right? Who have to just have nice fancy houses and fancy cars and comfortable lives that are empty and meaningless. Right? We get to live a life of incredible purpose. Right? Don't envy them. They should envy us. Right? And one day they will. In all eternity, they will wish that they had lived their life for the purpose that we have. Right? Let's pray. Lord God, what an amazing privilege it is to serve you. And Lord, we know that uh, Jesus warned us that uh, to be your, his followers, uh, to be his disciples would absolutely bring suffering and persecution and hardship. Um, but Lord, uh, we pray that we would have this, this perspective that Paul had, that, that we would know it is totally worth it because we are living for a cause so much greater, a cause that is eternal, uh, and that, that will see Christ in the lives of lost people to see lives changed and transformed by the incredible gospel of Christ. And we have the incredible privilege of, of joining with you in ministry and in suffering to proclaim Christ and to teach people to know him, to reveal this mystery hidden from ages past, but now revealed through, uh, through your word and through your spirit and through uh, teachers like Paul. Lord, may we not grow discouraged or weary in our labor and our struggle, but may we, like Paul, rejoice in our suffering, knowing that um, in the end it is worth it, that the lives that will be changed will be so worth it. And so, Lord, we praise you, and we pray that we would be encouraged and we would... Um, we would check our life. Lord, if we're not living for the things that really matter, Lord, help us change the focus and direction of our life, that we would invest in things that matter for eternity, that we would live a life proclaiming Christ. So help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.